to the Clipping Chains podcast from ClippingChains.com, where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host, Chad Andrews, and hi, how are you? I've got a little crick in my neck, a neck sore. I'm sitting here like, like some weird stiff person who can't move his neck. That's, that's, that's me today, okay? In other news, I am back in Utah after a very long drive back from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, we had fantastic weather, but you know, it's a long drive. I'm here watching the sunrise, looking at the red rocks. Man, you know, I had a great time on the East Coast. I met a lot of great people, saw a lot of cool things, did a lot of great climbing, but no place like home, man. And I'm sitting here talking to you, watching the morning light hitting these red cliffs. Damn it, that's beautiful. Okay. Anyway, today on episode 23, I am so happy to welcome climber, dentist, and real estate investor, Eric Jensen. Eric joins us from the Denver area of Front Range, Colorado, where he has been toiling away as an early career dentist, paying down hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. Meanwhile, Eric is living rent and mortgage-free through the process of house hacking, which sounds really terrible, but isn't. (laughs) Renting out rooms in the home where he lives, allowing him to build equity and repeat the process with additional properties. The world's your oyster, right? Eric refers to this process as, quote, real estate investing with training wheels, end quote, providing an outsized profit compared to the single family home so many of us consider investments, right? Like me and my wife, we own this home. Some people consider just owning a home an investment, but Eric is taken to that next level where he is having someone pay the mortgage for him and even providing a profit. And Eric has a lot of cool things we're going to talk about today. First off, climbing. I know you guys are climbers. A lot of you guys are climbers. We'll have some fun. Eric wanted to climb in 2021, 80 boulders graded V8 or harder. This dude is a bone crusher, and we'll talk about that goal. Also, Eric came out of school with a ton of debt, $330,000 in student loans, which he has paid down in four and a half years. It's incredible. So we'll dive into that. This post is something a lot of you guys have been wanting because a lot of folks out there have trepidation about the stock market, whether that's justified or otherwise you do. That's how you feel. It is how you feel. But a lot of folks like the idea of real estate investment. It's interesting because I feel the exact opposite, but Eric talks about why real estate investing is a simple and faster alternative to stock market investing, but it does not come without its own costs. And that's exactly why I've been hung up on real estate investing because there are some realities on maintenance, unexpected expenses, and the realities of being a landlord. And we have some real talk about that today. Eric's also provided some really useful guidelines for choosing properties and vetting roommates, because if you take Eric's path, you are going to be living with these people. And then eventually, as you move out of that property, you're going to be getting tenants who live there without your oversight. And you want to make sure you got the right people who aren't, you know, putting sledgehammers through your walls or peeing on the floor or something. I don't know what people do but they might do weird things and you don't want that happening in your properties. And then finally, Eric's had a change of tune lately. Eric lost his job in the pandemic, like so many others. And he was okay. He was fine. He had savings. He was going on, but he got a little bit of a taste of the early retirement life. He went out, started climbing and enjoying life a little bit more. And he realized actually that his thoughts on early retirement weren't exactly what he expected. So he has a renewed focus and we'll get into that. And so much more today, okay? 
To get in touch with Eric or to explore the resources mentioned in this episode, please check out the links provided in your show notes. Finally, I want to thank my newest members and contributors who are helping to sustain this project over at Buy Me a Coffee, the platform I use to help cover the cost of hosting this resource. I offer the warmest thanks to Matt, Jose, and an anonymous donor. You guys are an open oven door on a February evening. And don't worry, the oven is now off. It's just still hot. You know how that goes. If you are interested in supporting this free resource and helping keep this content 100% free, please follow the link for Buy Me a Coffee in your show notes. I really appreciate that, guys. I do. It really means a lot. Okay, without further ado, let's delve into the world of house hacking with Eric Jensen. Okay. Well, thanks for putting up with it, man. <laughs> the, the typical runaround. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. All How are good. you doing? Where are you? Where, where are we talking from? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm in uh, Golden, Colorado. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. Excellent. Uh, I think after we're done recording, I'm going to go uh, boulder with some friends out near uh, Red Rocks. Perfect. Well, that's that's a perfect lead in. I always struggle to come up with the perfect first question. But so you and I actually connected, what, almost exactly two years ago. We went and got a yeah. beer and started talking like money stuff. You'd found my website and you let me know that at the time you were kind of pursuing the real estate side of things, which had me interested because it's always been something I'm pretty weak on, but I get a lot of questions. And so I thought it would be great to have you on because you're a climber, you're into real estate investing. And so you could be that guy for me. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I actually, some things have changed since then. But yeah, I went back and looked at that old email I sent you and it was like the very, very start of 2020 was when I found your website. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought and it was like very pre-COVID, like very early on. Yeah, and I was like, oh, sick. Like someone's talking about like early retirement and like doing it through the lens of like a climber. Mm-hmm. Um, which in the email, I think I said, like, I I always thought it was strange that more climbers weren't talking about this kind of stuff because <laughs> climbing it attracts a lot of cerebral people. And um, I feel like we're all just trying to figure out how to climb more. And yeah, with the fire movement, just the idea of quitting your job and getting to do whatever you want with your free time, that to me, seems really attractive. To sounds dreamy, right? Climbers, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you mind if we talk climbing for a minute? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Because yeah, when we started talking, I was like, oh, this guy is not like, yeah, you're kind of a bone crusher. And I wanted to give you some credit to, uh, you know, brag on yourself or I'll do it for you. But so I hadn't heard from um, you in a long time. And all of a sudden you popped up on my Instagram feed and you just had this raw, uncut, just nothing on, no frills, you had nothing on this feed except just hard boulder problems. And you told me about, how about you explain to us like what your goal was for this year, 2021? Yeah. Um, so for this year, I've had more time off from work than I've ever had in my life this mm-hmm. year. So I was like, let's let's try and do 80 V8s or harder um, in a year. And the reason I picked that goal was that's, um, I, I log all my climbs. So I look, I've been climbing for 10 years at this point. Mm. So when I've added everything up, I've have about that much in the past 10 years. So I was like, sick, like, let's try and repeat the last 10 <laughs> years in one year. That's amazing. And, uh, go for it. 
It's been a super fun goal. I've kind of put the goal on hold up at the six month mark. I was at 40, so I was like right on pace mm-hmm. to uh, to make it uh, by the end of the year. But it got to be to the point where I was either going to work, uh, eating, sleeping, or like just focusing on this goal. So I I wasn't able to focus as much on you know, my friendships and my relationships. So I was like, okay, this, this was a little too, too much. Um, it's time to pull the plug on this. Totally. Well, I mean, 40 in, in what, six, seven months, that's still quite the achievement, but okay. So let's talk about work. You are a dentist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how long, what have you been up to? When, when did you get out of school and how did you pursue this career? Yeah, so I grew up, my pops is a dentist, so it was really? kind of okay. always in my head that I was going to follow uh, in his footsteps. So I graduated in uh, summer of 2017. So yeah, so I've been out for four and a half years now, and I moved out to Denver in uh, 2018. And where did you move from? Uh, lived in Oregon my whole life. So okay. yeah, grew up in Eugene. Went to school in Portland. The original game plan was always to take over my dad's practice, was to buy it from him. Eugene, Oregon is not a great hub for year-round rock climbing. (laughs) It is in the Willamette Valley in the Pacific Northwest, and it rains for seven months out of the year. At least. It's also not... (laughs) <laughs> it's also not very close to a lot of very good climbing. You've got um, some good stuff up in the Columbia, uh, the Columbia Gorge. Um, mm-hmm. You've got Smith Rock, um, but you're driving three hours if you want to climb. Sure. Uh, when you're living in Eugene. Yeah, between having to travel all the time for climbing and just the weather, I had some really good friends one that was living in Golden at the time and then one that was planning on moving out to Denver, they were really excited about the Front Range and they were telling me about it. So um, in December of 2017, I applied for a dental license out here. You have to do it by state. Mm-hmm. Uh, in January, I started interviewing and then by February, I had a job and moved out here in 2018. Wow, yeah, pretty seamless process considering I would imagine it's competitive like everything else to get yeah, a job it, in the Front Range. It, it, yeah, it, it all happened very quickly. Well, you must have done a few things right. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> so you came out of school with student loans, I imagine? Oh, yeah. Um, I came out with quite a bit. Um, dental school is not cheap. No. Um, just to be like straight up, it was... So when I finished school, it was $330,000 in Whoa. debt. And that was that was in-state tuition. So some of my classmates, um, they came out with over 400 in debt. Wow. Uh, one of my group chats that I'm in with my former classmates, they just sent a message that people that graduate from USC in California can expect to be uh, 600,000 in the hole from dental school. Yeah. And I've actually heard so, upwards of a million for some programs. I, that's probably getting extreme, um, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I think, yeah, I think if you go on to specialize, like if you want to be an orthodontist mm, or okay. an endodontist and do root canals, then yeah, that's when you start creeping up into the eight, 900,000. And yeah, some people crack a million. Wow. So what was your thought process coming out of school with debt? I mean, we talked a bit about this over the phone 
you had some ambitions on wanting to pay that down, correct? Yeah, I was not in a great, uh, <laughs> I was not in a great spot mentally when I first came out of school. Hmm. Um, cause just, just like any other job or career, you're not making as much as someone else that's been in that field for five, 10, 20 years. Right, right. So I was looking at my paycheck and then I was looking at what was going to taxes, uh, <laughs> then looking at what I was pouring into student loans and looking at what was left. And I was just like, oh my God, I am going to be living like a college student mm. forever. Mm. <laughs> I didn't have the 30,000 foot view at the time. Mm. Okay. Um, so yeah, I would say I, I didn't have the right uh, mindset on the debt, but in a way it, it really got me looking into these things of, I just remember Googling, how much do I need to retire, right? It's like you're two <laughs> months into your career and you're like, okay, how long do I need to do this for? Yeah, I don't think I did it too much later than that. Probably like that first summer. Yeah. Like, when is this over? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, again, things have since changed. And sure. it was just failing to see the forest through the trees. But, yeah, you you it's interesting. You Googled how much do I need to retire and the results you get today are a little bit different than the ones you got five years ago. Cause a lot of the stuff five years ago was, you know, Oh, invest 10% of, mm, yeah. of what you earn. And in 30 years you can do this. The traditional. And I was advice. like, well, yeah. And I was just like, there is no way I'm, you know, once I'm up to earning an average dentist salary, there is no way that I'm going to be spending 90% of my salary <laughs> well, <laughs> that's just not, I'm, that's just not the lifestyle that huh, okay. I had any desires to live. So what lifestyle did you desire to live? That mindset I, I had on the debt was, I, I just needed to get rid of that as fast mm. as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so basically I was like, okay, I'm going to get my finances as low as possible. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about climbing, right? Is mm -hmm. it's such a cheap hobby. You just need gas and then maybe a park pass and you know food for the weekend it's it's mm -hmm. really not that difficult to to live this this frugal lifestyle mm -hmm. or rather i should say it's it's not that difficult to save aggressively and still live a good life um and still get to do the things you want to do when one of those things is rock climbing well let me ask you this i mean Coming, I don't, you know, I won't pressure you on your salary or anything, but you know, I'm I'm imagining like an MD or a, a dentist coming in could make a pretty good income. So did you not feel this pressure or just a desire to want to spend more money and stop living like a college kid and buy a new couch or buy a new car or buy a nice house? Like, where, did you never feel that lifestyle inflation kind of pushing on you? Yeah, I guess I've never. For whatever reason, I just never had that desire to have that lifestyle treat to start spending. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I, you know, and I, it's funny. I always give my dad crap because he never, he never talked with us directly about money, but he mm -hmm. was always leading by example. And I, I never had the sensation that when we were growing up that we were well off or anything like that because mm. we just you know for the most part we didn't eat out often and then when we did it was you know not at the fanciest restaurants and 
you know, they didn't drive the nicest cars, things like that. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, I was just repeating what I learned growing up, which was living within your means. I do remember my dad saying when I was a kid, he's like, oh, well, you know, if you're a dentist and you want to get a Mustang someday, you can do that. That was, I think (laughs) that was one luxury I wanted was like a, a new Mustang, new Ford Mustang. And then just back to the looking at what was left over at the end of your paycheck, once you've paid your taxes, paid your student loans, paid your monthly personal expenses, seeing what's left and then being like, okay, I'm going to drop all of this on a car. I was just like, no, no, thank you. So you haven't gotten that dream Mustang yet? <laughs> nope. <laughs> that, that day may never come. <laughs> not by, not by that I couldn't do it, but it's just not a priority anymore. Well, so where did real estate investing come in? I mean, this is like around when you're starting to Google on how to get out of this situation. Yeah. So I, the things that were bothering me the most when I was in Oregon was A, I wasn't climbing as much as I wanted to. And B, I just, I, I felt very burdened by the the debt. So moving to, to Denver in 2018, that really scratched the itch of having more access to climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still wanted to be able to do it more. Um, I was working from 2018 to 2020, I, I took off, so I was working five days a week, Saturdays included. I think I took off four days during that and then covered 15 days. So I really did not enjoy any time, time off during those two years. Again, by not having that balance, um, I was really just looking for a way out. I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't want to do this for 30 years. So I definitely started exploring that, that route of just saving aggressively, you know, mm-hmm. sticking it in the stock market and then quitting your job. But then I started reading about uh, how these people, these different people in their blogs, they basically leveraged themselves into financial independence by going into real estate. Mm-hmm. And so it was something I started reading about and they just, they did it through the means of buying a house and then just renting it out to someone else immediately. And to me, that was just too scary. Any Anytime I started to uh, research how to do that, it was just totally overwhelming and I said, you know, this this strategy isn't isn't for me. My buddy Sho reached out. He told me he was starting to read about all this stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he told me about a strategy of like buy a house that you want to live in and then just get roommates. Right. And then that was when the light bulb clicked on. And I was just like, oh my God, that is so simple. I have I've always had roommates. Yeah, you're young. Um, I, yeah, I've like looked for roommates on Craigslist. So that that to me was just a no brainer. So that's how I got into all of this. I guess the two the two best pieces of advice I received to make that idea a reality was set a goal or a timeline of how soon you want to do this. So I picked ninety days to buy the property to buy a house. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. from from when he called me, I knew instantly, like, yes, I'm going to buy a house. So he called me in August and told me about that. I set the goal of 90 days. 
So by September, I put an offer on a house, hmm. and then by October, I closed on it. So again, was... things just went. This was in 2018. 2018, okay. And it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, hmm. I've since done it again, so I do own two rental properties now. And so when you say you did it again... Oh, so yeah, so I, I bought the house, I lived in it for a year, had roommates... Yeah, so just to kind of get into the details of that, it's so it was a five bedroom, four bath house. Um, I took the smallest room. The mortgage, the monthly payment was about twenty one hundred. Mm-hmm. Three of the rooms rented for six hundred. One of the rooms rented for seven hundred. So uh, rents coming in were twenty five hundred. So I was getting paid paid to live there almost five hundred dollars a month to live in my house. Yeah, and I want to pause on that for a second. I mean, because you've heard me say it on the website. And I mean, our living expenses are often by far our biz- biggest expense in life. Mm-hmm. And, and now you're getting paid to live. Yeah, and that's where it's like, because yeah, if you the biggest expenses are your living expenses and then taxes. And okay, there's not much we can do about taxes. Sure. And then the other people that say, okay, like cut out your Netflix, cut out on that morning coffee every day, like these are not things that are adding up to thousands and thousands of dollars every year. So, so yeah, just back to that, like not only was I getting paid 500 to live in my house, I didn't have to pay someone else rent either. So realistically I'm increasing the amount that's in my checking account by more than a thousand a month than if I was just renting. So yeah, this is like really, really powerful stuff for like the moderate income earner. Now let's, if you don't mind me asking, and when you purchase these properties, what was your stance on a down payment? People don't need to do this. I think I did (laughs) um, 10% down. Okay. I can't even remember why I did that. So yeah, so I I think it was about 40,000 for the down payment. And then the first house really didn't need um, any repairs, but most of the people that I met at the time that were doing this, they were doing three and a half percent down on four hundred thousand dollar houses. So that's you really didn't need much more than fifteen thousand dollars to do this. Hmm. And to me, that's such a low that is such a low barrier to have such a powerful tool in investing. Very much. Now, some people, my wife included, are going to squirm at the idea of putting down so little and having such a big debt load, right? So what mm-hmm. has been your thoughts about having two properties that you, you don't own outright, not even close, I imagine, yet, having mm-hmm. this level of debt? Of course, you've got the income coming in, which feels great, but you're also you know, saddled with this debt. And for some people, having debt at all is just kind of a can't take it, you know? So what are your thoughts yeah. there? Yeah, there's uh, there's good debts and there's bad debts and there's obviously risk with the good debts. Sure. But I guess what what gave me the most what gave me the confidence to do this was right because let's let's just look at a worst case scenario. Let's just say because when I I mean the, the housing market is just bonkers now. But sure. let, even back in 2018 when I bought the house. Houses had never been that expensive in the front range. That was still yep. an all-time high yep. during that that summer and 
fall of 2018. So I was like, holy smokes, like this feels totally insane to be buying at an all-time high. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go to a worst case scenario. Let's just say the, mar- the market immediately tanks, people are losing their jobs, we're in a recession. The type of housing that becomes attractive during a time like that is a cheap rent by the room situation, mm. mm-hmm. right? So people aren't going to want to pay I mean, back then, let's just say $1,800 for a condo in downtown Denver, Mm -hmm. um, they're going to get roommates because they need to pinch pennies. So I just knew that I would, even even if the rent by the room rates dropped to, let's say, $500 or $400 a month, if it's $400 a month times four roommates, I'm still only paying $400 a month. and quote-unquote rent. So I just still think this is such a safe strategy in the long run because it's recession-proof. Well, yeah. I mean, so we went through a recession in early 2020, albeit Mm short-lived. Did you have any blip on the radar in terms of anything for you in terms of roommates and sort of vacancy, anything like that during the whole COVID thing? Yeah, well, it's funny. So there was uh, 20%... Unemployment was 20% at that time. And, you know, between the two properties, um, myself included, there were 10 people. Hmm. Um, one other person lost their job and I I got laid off and I lost my job. So out really? of the 10 people living in these two houses, we had 20%. So Interesting. Um, I didn't know you lost your job. This is all news to me. Oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't work for six months and that was... Yeah, this is actually something that was kind of cool because because during that time you could put your loan you could put your student loans in for forbearance, you could put your mortgages in forbearance. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, this is like a really cool opportunity to do an experiment and actually test drive, you know, true financial independence. Mm. So oh, what yes. I I put my uh student loans in forbearance, I put my uh mortgages in forbearance. Okay, so basically I only had was my living expenses, which let's just say those were close to 2500 a month. Between the rentals, most people had their jobs and they were still happy to pay rent. Between the two rentals and then unemployment, I was still earning five to 6000 a month. So yeah, I was like, holy smokes, I actually get to try out financial independence. So yeah, so I actually uh, delayed going back to work during that six month period, really just to give it, uh, give it an honest try. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, three of those six months were spent building out a van. That was a lot of fun. Hmm. Um, got to do a lot of climbing once that started to become okay. I know like earlier in the, earlier during the pandemic, it was controversial to be going out and climbing. Even with all of that, I was a little bit overwhelmed by the amount of free time. Mm. Found that this this wasn't really uh, for me. Not not working at all. Right, right, right. And that's kind of one of the main selling points of financial independence is you get to quit your job forever. Um, it is the carrot, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like that's the carrot. Where really, I think all of this is about freedom, right? Freedom to, to do 
whatever you want, whether that's not work at all, work less, have more control of your schedule, go on sick climbing trips whenever you want. Like to me, that's what this is all about. Well, I'm glad you landed on that because that's the message I've been trying to push more and more in recent months, year. I mean, it didn't take long for me to come to that conclusion too, that this unfettered, unadulterated free time is not good for most people. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When, when all you're doing is working, it sounds amazing. Right. 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 But no, I think it's, it's much more about that balance with everything. Well, I put a pin in it. I want to get back. So you had you yourself and another one of your roommates, one of your tenants lost their job. So how did you handle that? I mean, for yourself, that, that's your business. I mean, you had income coming in. But how did you handle mm-hmm. this roommate who had lost their job and therefore potentially was having, you know, struggling to pay the rent? Was that a case? Oh, yeah. She, um, I mean, I just told her like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll work something out. But without me even mentioning anything, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm actually just planning to moving back to, she was from New Jersey and said, oh, I'm just going to move back in with my parents. She was like right out of college. Um, okay. I guess just by happenstance, it never really turned into a scenario where I had to worry about collecting rent. So, cause really what I think most people did at the time was they put their rent payments in forbearance, but mm-hmm. ultimately those needed to be paid back at some point. Um, and I think there was like rent assistance programs. So, but yeah, that's it. It never really turned into an issue. Um, now, now, did you replace her with someone else? How did that work? Mm, uh, at the time, no, just because there was starting to become some disputes over what people felt comfortable with. People still wanted to go out and hike in that first house, and some people didn't feel comfortable with other people leaving the house at all. So right, I was like, right. okay, there is, um, you know, there's starting to become some tension in the house. Um, I don't want to add another person. And again, because the the mortgages were in forbearance, I didn't feel pressed to get someone else in there. Now, would you have felt differently if, if it wasn't just one girl, but it was like eight of your 10 tenants had lost their job? I mean, just for, you know, sheer bad luck. You know, that's an interesting question because again... <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to live it, but... Yeah, that's funny. I don't... By funny, I mean terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, because you still had, because ultimately, right? This is a this is a potentially controversial topic because you know there is still um, cost with rentals, right? right? You right. have to. Um, the stove broke during the pandemic, so I paid to fix the stove. That was only two hundred dollars, um, but then you have the utilities every month. Sure. Those add up to three or four hundred dollars. So, yeah, I guess I would just I would have communicated with them like, hey, we need to figure out something. Um, yeah, because there's no forbearance on maintenance work to be. Yeah. Yeah. I- exactly. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I mean, maybe it's rhetorical at this point. I mean, you just do what you have to do, and you didn't have to do it. Yeah, but I will say because. This is a great strategy to get you into the into real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of buying a house, getting roommates, very straightforward. 
Um, it's kind of like real estate with training wheels. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's no doubt that that style of management requires a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have since started transitioning the rentals into just renting it out to an entire family. Um, it definitely doesn't make you as much money. Hmm. So, because right now at the at Route House, that's the first house I bought. There's someone living in the mother-in-law suite. Someone living, they're just running out the entire upstairs. Mm-hmm. It is a really sweet scenario because they get along really well. They're both paying well under market rent. Um, it's still exceeding the mortgage by $500. So it's just a win, 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 win across the board. Right, right. Yeah, if you have a bunch of roommates that you lived with, and then once you move out, it, you're kind of the leader of the ship and you set the culture for the house. So I personally, I had a blast when I was living in that first house. We all got along great. It was really chill. The Yeah, when I did move out and when COVID happened, tensions did start to rise. Um, you know, I wasn't there to quell that. So that's that was definitely a motivating factor to switch to this newer style of management. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, I've just been living with my wife throughout the whole pandemic, and I've thought mm-hmm. occasionally about what it would be like to live, not even just in like an apartment building where you're sharing hallways. I mean, that would have been stressful enough, but to live in a shared indoor space with others who may be strangers would have been, yeah, really trying. I could imagine there were tensions, and I'm sure this is relatable across many rental units. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like with anything, good open communication right, solves right. a lot of problems. Because I was living in the second house. I call it Upham House. It's just the streets they're on. Okay. For the most part, we were just, you know, we just didn't get, we understood that people felt differently about it. And, you know, if one person felt more comfortable leaving the house, then we just asked that they, you know, try and isolate themselves more so when they're in the house. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we were just all more easygoing, I guess, about it all. So really wasn't any tension or drama where I was living during it. Well, I would imagine maybe some of that is your process in vetting who you're bringing in. So let's talk about that. How do you decide, Do you? what was your process in filling out these rooms? Who did you want there? Yeah, I guess in the ad, I just put, you know, looking for like-minded young professionals. Um, We do most of our socializing outside of the house. We're not bringing home Tinder dates, um, (laughs) things like that. So, and you... (laughs) You got to do your Tinder somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You get a a pretty good sense of what a person's like. Um, You know, because I would have them come over and, and chat for 20 minutes and you get a pretty, and you can also, even just in their emails too, you can, totally. you know, so many people email you an application saying like, hey, is this still available? And in the ad, I clearly wrote, please tell me about yourself in the email. So those people <laughs> don't even get responses. Um, so for the, for the most part, it's just, you know, can they write a cohesive email with good grammar? <laughs> <laughs> Do they seem like a normal person when you meet them? I've felt like a I've had a decent judge of character. Sure. For the most part when getting roommates. I mean, just following basic instructions. I mean, we used to laugh like when we were we knew there was layoffs coming at work. And if someone replied all to the company email, it's like, okay, they're the first out the door. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
don't do that when you work at a company with 2,000 people. Okay, well, let's actually talk about, so why didn't you take the, like a lot of people would be like, oh, I got a property, I'm going to rent out every room in Airbnb and I'm going to crush it. And I can charge 200 bucks a night. I'm in Denver, everybody wants to be there. Why did you take this approach of long-term rentals versus short-term flipping it nightly, all that stuff? Yeah, it's Airbnb is something that I always thought about and considered to a degree. The roommate part was something that I already knew how to do, mm-hmm. which is why I gravitated towards that. Airbnb is just so, yes, there's more opportunity to make more money, but you're also, um, in essence, creating a second job for yourself. Totally. Um, just because you either need to flip the rooms yourself, like clean them, get them ready for the next guests, or you need to hire someone to do that. So right. it was something that I always considered, but just at the time I wasn't looking to add extra work onto my plate. So I never, I never did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Airbnb thing is interesting because I know, I know people that have bought properties just with the intention of Airbnb being it just because they can be so profitful, profitable. I guess the only thing I caution against with that strategy is make sure it also works as a traditional rental because laws can change. I know in Denver, you can't Airbnb um, unless it's your primary residence anymore. Mm-hmm. So some people have had to, you know, re-strategize. I guess that's all I'll say is, yeah, make sure it still works as a traditional rental because if it doesn't, you can get screwed. Yeah, you'll be hosed. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in a lot of towns are have increasing restrictions around these because, yeah, I mean, it kind of does, does disrupt the local housing market. It can disrupt the hotel scene. And like towns like Las Vegas, that hotel lobby is super strong and they don't take kindly to <laughs> everyone staying somewhere else. So <laughs> Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, so let's talk about maintenance. I mean, because I can tell yeah. you naturally, one of my biggest hangups of of this kind of approach is I'm not naturally like a Bob Vila kind of guy. I mean, I can YouTube with the best of them and figure things out, but have you felt burdened mm-hmm. at times with dealing with things breaking or has it been, you know, what's that been like for you? Yeah, there's no doubt um, real estate investing is not truly a passive mm-hmm way to invest. It's not just throw it in the stock market and then forget about it. Um, There are definitely times, even last week, where I was like, okay, one tenant just texted me that the fridge is making funny noises. I would totally rather go climbing, but now I need to go worry about this Mm -hmm. fridge. It is something to consider. I guess one thing I would say is don't buy... With both of these houses, they were kind of fixer-uppers. The first one just needed new paint, new carpet, uh, new floors, things like that. The second house was a full gut and remodel. Whoa. Um, but it still has old siding, old windows, an older roof. Um, so yeah, do, do understand that there are, are going to be significant costs that come up through the life of the rental, meaning... Um, you know, if you want to replace all the windows, that could be $20,000, which, you know, if you're only saving $500 a month, you know, let's say that's six grand a year, that's like over three years of profit. And that's just assuming nothing else goes wrong. Right. So yes, I would say 
A, try and find a rental that's going to need less, less maintenance, which we can get into what that means later. Do understand that the math still checks out that this is a um, very, very powerful tool in building wealth. Because I was just, I was actually, before we started talking this morning, I was, I was doing the math. And this is one of the biggest, because I've had frustrating times where I'm like, I should just sell the houses and stick this in the stock market because yeah. I'm tired of dealing with maintenance. But one of the, this morning I was just looking at, the math problem goes like this. If you want to have a million dollars in 30 years, if you want to stick that in the stock market all right now and let that just grow and compound over 30 years, you would need to stick somewhere around $130,000 to do that. Okay, and that's assuming like a 7% return. Mm -hmm. For real estate, if you wanted that to grow to a million dollars in 30 years, counting the profits of, you know, how much is the profit of the house appreciated? What have you made in rents? Things like that. You only have to invest $33,000. To me, <laughs> that is significant. Well, how does the value of the property, I mean, do you feel comfortable really counting that? Because you still need the properties to have that value. I mean, unless you decide to just sell them off, right? Right. Well, that's the only way you can make this more of a quote unquote apples to apples comparison is if you sell the property. But then again, just the amount that you can, because once the property is paid off, these things are just a cash cow. So, you know, realistically, you can expect $2,500 a month in rent from these properties now in 30 years with inflation, that's going to be closer to five or 6,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And when it's paid off, it's like, if you need new windows and siding, it's like, who cares? I can pay for that. And right. With a few months rent. So, um, it's definitely to the person that wants to quit and retire early through real estate. You can definitely do that. Mm Mm-hmm. But just do understand that there are also rewards out there later in the game too. Yeah, there's a couple of questions I want to go from there. So what would be, what would financial independence look, look like to you from a real estate perspective? Because for us, you know, there was a certain number we wanted to see having our, you know, savings, net worth, whatever. And we're completely all in on like the stock market side of the thing, the, the truly passive side. So what would you yeah. need to see from a real estate perspective to know that, yeah, you know, I don't have to be a dentist anymore if I don't want to be. Yeah, I guess if I, as far as my, what these, as far as what these houses are bringing in passively, and because right, right now they're bringing in a thousand dollars a month um, total. Mm-hmm. So, and right now I feel I've had some lifestyle creep, but you know, if I wanted to be done working forever, you would want to have. Well, let's just let's just put it this way. You can realistically expect about $500 of true profit a month from these rentals doing this strategy. Mm-hmm. So, if your budget is 2000 a month, you need four houses to do this strategy. Right. I do know people that have houses in that are closer to Denver that are actually profiting over 1000 a month on a house. Mm-hmm. So if you want two or three thousand a month, 
you could get three houses over the course of three years and then be done. So as long as your cash flow exceeds your monthly spending on a regular, no, pretty much every month, then you're good. Bingo. Yeah. Okay. And so how reliable has your $500 a month been? I mean, like getting back to maintenance and costs, how often does the, you know, life throw you lemons? I guess we can get into this later because I'm, I'm less interested now in squeezing as much out of these houses, so to speak. Mm-hmm. If I wanted, I could probably getting, be getting $1,000 a month out of each house. Um, I have no interest in doing that just because it's a lot more work from a management side to do that. I have definitely taken more of the long view on real estate mm-hmm. that this is just going to be uh, a wonderful source of income later in my life. But as far as maintenance and things like that, there has been a lot of learning experiences here in this first few years uh, of owning real estate. Yeah, let's so, do it. Let's hear them. Um, oh, yeah, well, one was just, you know, yeah, the stove needed to be fixed, so I was learning how to do that. This refrigerator needs to be fixed. I need to do that. Realistically, you can expect that 10 months out of the year um, if you're doing things well. So I'm now at a point where I'm not... I'm just having less headaches to deal with. I have people that I can call that know how to fix these things so that I don't need to spend uh, as much time down at the rental properties. And also just, you know, it's funny. My dad would always say, you know, if you want it done right, you have to do it yourself, to Mm -hmm. which I equip. If I want it done right, I need to pay someone that knows what they're doing to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what I'm getting at. It's like, it sounds like one way or another, you either need to be interested and be able to put the time into doing a lot of maintenance or take on that extra cost knowing someone else will do it and you have your time, but you'll spend a little bit more. Yeah, that's it. And just especially like, I guess I would say like the only people that should be doing this is a, yes, you're, I think a lot of us, especially when we're younger, are still comfortable having roommates. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have roommates, if you want to live in a certain area for you know, five, 10 plus years, it's kind of like, it's kind of a no brainer to do things like this. No, I mean, I, I do think, you know, and I've talked to another, a, a number of people on this website. <laughs> Whoa. What was that? Excuse me. Cough. <laughs> that was intense. Um, yeah. Anyway, I've talked to a number of people on this website who've not really intentionally from a, an investing standpoint have have started with a home that they own and had roommates. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. You, there's really no huge downside to have someone paying at least some portion of your mortgage for you just simply because it reduces that big overhead expense, which is your living expenses. Now yeah. you've taken it a step further. And I guess my follow-up would be, do you feel like you need more properties to make this something that could truly make you quote unquote financially independent? Or are you happy with two properties and still staying in your job and kind of having this hybrid life mode? Yeah, I guess to answer that question, um, I guess I would just like to back up back up for just a moment because at this point I've, so yeah, during the pandemic, I, I lost my job. I really at the time, since I was working so much, I was like, gosh, like I did, 
I'd be okay if I never had to go back to, to doing dentistry. So I enjoyed the time off. It did eventually come to the point where I needed to start working again. I started working at an emergency clinic, which was much slower paced. Uh, the case the cases were really interesting. And just with being able to slow down, enjoy a little more time off, I was like, whoa, this is actually a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really starting to enjoy myself at work now. With that, um, even with that job, though, it was still you were working well. You would just have lots of hours of downtime because if no one was having a dental emergency, there was nothing to do. So we did spend a lot of time just sitting around doing crossword puzzles, things like that. Mm-hmm. I've um, since started working at a, a family practice, just more, more conventional dentistry, fillings, crowns, um, things like that, some emergencies. But my boss approached me in May and said, hey, we want to try this new schedule. It's kind of like the nurse's schedule. Basically, you'll be working a week on and then having a week off. So I was like, okay, like that sounds really cool. Um, And since we've switched to that schedule, I have just totally fallen in love with, with everything. So usually like... By the end, so like I'll plan a trip, I'll go have a bunch of fun for a week. Um, usually by the end of that week, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to like go back into the office, hmm. uh, see my team, see my patients, um, do some work. And then usually by the end of that work week, I'm like, okay, this has been fun, but I'm ready to like go out and play <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. So, so right now I'm enjoying 26 weeks off a year. That's amazing. And... I guess the moral of to go back to your question is, you know, do I need more rental properties? Um, the answer is no. Um, I'm a. I don't want to grow my wealth more aggressively um, and create more work for myself. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely more keen on starting to stick money in the stock market. Mm-hmm. But the the moral of the story is if you can find a career and a lifestyle that you don't want to retire from, then you're already kind of retired. Totally. So I guess I'll just say with, cause I, I, I've already found that out that I don't want to quit from full-time work really ever. Um, I just don't know what to do with that much free time, but I still want to be able to enjoy a ton of time off. So I have that now and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I guess to throw a devil's advocate at you, and I think you've already thought through this, so it won't throw you off, but okay, yeah, you can be a dentist and you have this week on, week off schedule. It's great. You're, you know, young and in your thirties, I believe, right? So what about when you get, you know, you can't do that at age 90. So what are you thinking about for the long term? you know, as a, as a pushback oh, yeah. on the, you know, I don't need to retire from this life, you know? For sure. Oh, I guess I should say, um, I, I I will say I'm still aggressing. Uh, excuse me, um, investing very aggressively. I, as much as I do li- love this lifestyle, I think it's still really important to have options mm-hmm. and freedom to to walk away from things. Because who knows? Maybe maybe in ten years this this won't be cutting it for totally. me anymore. Maybe hmm. you know maybe I'll want to go climbing more. Maybe I'll have a family that I want to spend more time with. To that, I will say, um, 
with this lifestyle, fortunately, I'm still able to stick a lot of money away in investments. Um, so I, I think it's, some, maybe that's what the, the story was missing is it's find this lifestyle that makes you happy, but also still be able to save mm-hmm. for the future. So I guess with that, what I'm saying is um, between the two houses that I have now um, and with how much I'm saving each year, I do plan on being able to walk away from work forever in less than 10 years. Fantastic. So to, to at least have the option to, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And like, if I'm still, you know, loving this, this balance, then, you know, that's just, that's great. Well, let's talk about that a minute, because when we spoke on the phone, you said, you know, until really recently, you'd been focused more on paying down debt and not investing and then otherwise just focusing on these properties. So what's changed and when did it change? Oh, I guess um, that, well, so I am, I'm actually going to make my final payment on my student loans uh, this month. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Which I am, I am super excited about that. So after only what, three, how long you've been in the business? Four years? Four, four and a half years. That's impressive. Good work. So thanks. Yeah. So I guess. That was all just a, a combination of, you know, again, uh, not taking a lot of time off allowed me to sustain a higher income for, you know, those two of those first four years. Mm-hmm. Um, still just living very, very frugally. I mean, even when I had my rent covered, so to speak, I still was just cooking all my meals, um, going on climbing trips, things that weren't very expensive, and then just saving aggressively. So, well, And all that money that would have gone into a mortgage for your own personal property, you were, yeah. you, you were freeing up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. oh, what was the original question? <laughs> no, so yeah, you paid down the debt and then you were deciding now that you don't have this debt to aggressively pay down, what's your next step? The next step is just Again, I don't. I do not have uh, one dollar in the stock market yet, and hmm. even though it's at an all-time high, I am very, very excited to start um, investing in the stock market because I don't think this is the highest we'll ever see it. Well, I, we're all. Hoping it may that. go down for a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it may then, go down for a bit. But. Well, let's talk about that mentality because I mean, this is this is a so such a common dilemma, right? And I get these emails. All the time. Like, I don't know, you know, I'd like to start investing. I hear what you're saying. This is all great. But, you know, what about this in the news? Or what about this in the future? What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. So where, I mean, and you talked about in 2018 when you brought bought your first property, you were like, this is, houses have never been this expensive. What if? Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, I imagine you've learned some lessons from that experience and now you can apply to this. So what are, what's going through your head these days? Yeah. Again, I think the, the idea that I... I want to have with the stock market is just stick in the same amount every month mm-hmm. forever. Well, until you stop working. So even if it's at an all-time high, you got to put it in. Well, and <laughs> most of the time, time the it market. is at an all-time high. I mean, that's the whole point of an of a uh, you know of an improving market is that most of the time it is at an all-time high. Yeah. So I guess even though it's funny, I'm speaking on it clearly at an, an intellectual level. I, since I don't have any 
since I'm not in the stock market, it, it feels kind of crazy to talk about it and tell, say, say to people, Hey, here's what you should do. But I guess, yeah, in a way I have done it where, yeah, I, I did buy a house at, at an all time high. And again, it's just, you know, if, if housing prices went down over the past couple of years, yeah, who knows, who knows what tune I'd be singing now about all of this, but you need to take all of the emotions out of investing and do it based on principles. Yeah. Absolutely. And the principles are stick the same amount, just dollar cost average your way in, stick the same amount of money into the stock market each month. Right. I think like Jack Bogle said, this is like, don't ever look at it, stick this amount in each month and make sure when you open it in 30 years that your cardiologist is nearby yeah, because you're going to have a heart attack Exactly. when you see how much money you have. It's true. I mean, it, you know, obviously we don't give advice here. I have to put that disclaimer in there. This is just us talking stories and having fun here, but because none of us are official, you know, financial advisors yeah. or anything like that. But I mean, I can tell you from my experience, that's obviously been the experience we've had. And, you know, and you have some trepidation about it because you're just getting into it. But then I look at what you're doing and I have trepidation about that because I've never mm-hmm. done that. And so I'm like, well, I, you know, real estate, that makes sense. But then I don't want to do maintenance and the costs and all this stuff. But then mm-hmm. I talk to someone like you or a lot of other people and they're like, eh, you know, it's not so bad. So we yeah. always get worried about the things we don't fully understand. So I always encourage everyone to like, yeah, read some Jack Buckle, read, read some stuff. You don't have to listen to just this. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of resources out there that are free. And a lot of them say the same thing, which is very encouraging. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think you'll start doing? I mean, are you going to start, have you been contributing to like a 401k all along while you were paying down debt no. or no? Okay. Again, cause I was just so, I wanted to be so aggressive with paying down the student loans and so aggressive with getting into real estate that, I did not want any funds tied up into 401ks, but um, no, my intentions do have changed on that. I do intend on mm-hmm. maxing out a 401k every year from this year on out. Okay. And then basically after that, whatever's left over to invest, um, stick it in a brokerage account. Oh, man. So just some sort of, yeah, after-tax account. Yep, that was pretty much our blueprint and, and it works. Yeah, it really does. Well, let me ask you about, you know, a lot of folks have the housing market on their mind lately because it's just been wild. Like this is, I think everyone can agree, absolutely unprecedented unprecedented times in the housing market. So would you be doing this today? Do you have any input on where you think the housing market has changed over the last three years and how that would affect this sort of approach? Yeah, uh, that's a great question because I I will say houses are about, $200,000 $200,000 more expensive yeah. than when I started doing this. Yeah. I guess the short answer to your question is would I still be doing this or would I even recommend other people to do this? I say yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But it all shakes down to what can you get your monthly mortgage down to? Because if you can get, I mean, I live in Denver, right? Mm-hmm. Well, close to Denver, the greater, the greater Denver area. There are still people are still doing this um, actively in the greater Denver, the greater Denver metro area. You just have to start 
going deeper into the suburbs Mm -hmm. for that. So people are still finding these five-bedroom houses for close to 500000 with interest rates being so low, you can still expect to get a monthly mortgage payment of between $2,000 and $2,500. So again, it just depends on, A, are you willing to ride out a storm? Because it's like, who knows what's going to happen, right? There's like talks that they're going to raise rates and like Mm -hmm. that's going to maybe drive housing costs down. So, right. It's, it's definitely an uncertain time. So, but I I guess I would say is if, if you can get a monthly mortgage of somewhere in the ballpark of 22 or $2,300 and still have an income, a rental income of right around that number. And if you're willing to do this, you know, for five years while you're waiting for rents to go up, heck yeah. (laughs) heck yeah you can do this (laughs) yeah and i guess i would you know just to add on to that even if you're not viewing this as a mean of investment i mean you've got nothing to lose if you buy a property and you don't mind having your roommates just to offset your own costs even if it's not making money per se just to spend just to have lower costs on your own living expenses is valuable on its own yeah exactly and Basically, anyone that's owned a house for 20 years, if it's a rental, they they don't regret still having it. So it's you you're not going to see you know as much of a profit say now just because again houses being at an all time high, rents definitely aren't keeping up with that. I don't think they should be keeping up with that. Inflation is a part of our monetary policy. Like the Fed wants two to three percent of inflation every year. So rents are going to be going up year after year after year after year. So if you can get in now, and even if you have to do more hands on work for those five years, 10 years while rents are still going up with inflation, it's going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah, let's talk about inflation on rent, actually. I wanted to ask you about this. So what is your process? Do you just, out of habit or just out of a system, raise rents every year by some percentage? You know, have you handled that? I don't because, again, it's I, I really try and operate on the, the, uh, the principle of just making everything a win-win. Mm-hmm. So I have really good relationships with my tenants. I really like them. Um, I want them to stay. So, and again, I'm not trying to get every dollar I can out of these things. So again, at Route House, um, both tenants are paying well under market rent and Mm -hmm. I don't ever expect to hike it just because I don't have to deal with headaches with them. Um, Hmm. They're really good at communication. They're really good at letting contractors come in if work needs to be done. Um, they get along with each other really well. So that in my value. mind, that, yeah. that to me is worth so much more than an extra, you know, few hundred dollars a month. Totally. Again, I, that's not the goal for me is to make every dollar you can make. It's, it's having that, that balance of, yes, this is still allowing me to make a good income, but also I'm not having to deal with as many headaches. Hmm. Yeah, I, I value that because I think a lot of people rightfully view real estate investment with this kind of slimy outlook. 
that you're like some yeah. sort of slum lord, you know? Yeah, no, and even like, yeah, if we want to talk about slime, like how would I, <laughs> how would my how would they feel or how would I feel if like someone was was just trying to get as much rent out of me as they possibly could? Like yeah, that's that is slimy and that is like not what I want to be a part of. No, and I'm glad you had that perspective and that's why I thought it was worth talking to you cuz I'm not sure I would have had you on if you were like, look, if you maximize rent, you're always raising it every year and you can just milk these people dry, man. Then I'd be like, ah, you know, I don't know if it's a good fit. <laughs> but I appreciate no, that. I really again, do. Yeah, again, I really think it's good to go into this. Because even, you know, some people might be listening and say, God, like living with four roommates, like that's that's mm-hmm. crazy. Like I would never want to do that. Or like, why would you subject other people, you know, to living like that? And it's like, well, some people really do like that living situation. Some people want to be able to come home and, you know, play a board game with their roommates or mm. have drinks with their roommates. So I I had nothing but a good time, you know, for that first year in Route House when I was living with that many roommates. So, And you're providing a living situation that otherwise was not available. Yeah, exactly. So these these people, they wanted, you know rent was 600 bucks a month that's like dirt cheap oh dude Um, in denver yeah yeah and it and we just we had a bunch of fun together so um again just really trying to make everything a a win-win i think is a good is a good strategy no that's great no i appreciate it do you have any tips for folks i mean this is another common issue now that maybe you didn't have to experience as much in 2018 but what about the competitiveness of just getting your offer accepted to buy a home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, um, I, so I imagine putting three and a half percent down is not going to make you very competitive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I guess <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have to pass that on to uh, a real <laughs> okay. estate agent because yeah. I, I don't, I don't say this to, to boast. It was just the, it was just the times the house sure. that I that first house route house it was vacant on the market for forty days. Mm, okay. So when I offered on it, they gleefully accepted. Okay. So well, maybe um, that's the tip right there. I mean, look for something that's a little less desirable that you're willing to put some work into, maybe. Yeah, and that oof. I mean, for me, <laughs> I won't do another fixer upper just because it was it was so much more. Yeah, I was yeah. in over my head. It was more yeah. work than I ever expected it to be. Um, yeah. But to the person that maybe enjoys this stuff more, for someone that really has a knack for it, or for someone that just doesn't doesn't mind kind of putting their their nose to the grindstone for you know a few months. Um, that is definitely a, a good strategy is, is find something that needs a little bit of work, something that's, you know, scaring away a lot of home buyers. Yeah. Just really understand uh, what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, who, who knows, maybe the, the sewer needs to be replaced. Maybe, maybe you missed some of the windows aren't the new vinyl windows. They're the old, um, metal frame windows and that's going to be an expensive thing to replace. So do, do know that there is some, some more, some, some risk going into these things, uh, when they need more, more fixing up. Yeah. Don't pass on your inspection report. That's it. I mean, that's what people were doing. I mean, that was making people's offers get accepted was to pass on an inspection and 
I mean, it's about the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I yeah, I guess I would, you know, for anyone that is considering buying real estate, talk talk to your agent just about yeah, what is what does it take to get these offers accepted? Because that's that's something that I have have less experience with. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like both of your properties were you know fairly easy for you to slip in and get them. There wasn't there wasn't a ton of uh, competition. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think those deals are still there. I mean, you may not be able to buy like the coolest house in the coolest neighborhood um, in the hottest town. No. Yeah. But that's not really the point. Right, right, right. (laughs) You know. Do you have any guidance on, I mean, how long do you think you would have stayed in this first property? I mean, because when do you kind of flip and move to the next one? Or is that kind of just total personal preference? Basically, if you you want to buy it, do the strategy of of getting more than one house, you you can only do one house a year mm-hmm. um, if you want to put down less than uh, 20% on the house, okay. right? So this is a part of a, a loan program um, that's backed by the, the government that allows you to put down such a small amount for your down payment is if you're buying the house as a primary resident. So Because mm-hmm. basically, if you want to uh, do the strategy, buy a house, get roommates. Um, you can't just buy the house, move in a bunch of people and then move out. You do have to stay in the house for at least a year. Um, and you do have to wait a year before you can close on, on an additional property Mm -hmm. with another, you know, three and a half percent down payment. So this is so you know I I stopped it too, but there are some people that are on their fourth or fifth house and they've been doing this for four or five years. Hmm. So that's that's um, another important part is the timing of all of this. What else have I not asked you from maybe a tax perspective? Anything that I'm just not aware of, just because I simply don't do this. Oh, um, yeah, I guess. You know, the, the people, um, again, the people that should be doing this are the ones that, you know, are okay living with roommates. But again, you want to stay in that area for more than a year. Mm-hmm. Well, longer than that, really. I I was more active on some forums. I actually got on the phone with some people that were interested in talking about this stuff. And this guy wanted to buy a place in Denver, but he's like, yeah, you know, I might be moving to Kansas in a year, though. And I was like, dude, don't do this like this. You can't manage this from like a different state, (laughs) like (laughs) at least not with this strategy of having roommates. Also be able to, this person needs to be able to make a long-term commitment to being a landlord and just being able to roll with the punches, um, you know, again, through maintenance, through getting new tenants, through dealing with issues with tenants, but again, for the moderate income earner, it's just such a great way to invest for your future. Hmm. No, so I like it. I guess, I guess maybe for anyone listening in Denver, um, <laughs> the formula I've now created for looking for houses that I share with friends is buy a don't buy on a cul-de-sac. You want to have plenty of parking. <laughs> B don't get a place with a large yard because you won't want to maintain it and it's really expensive. Totally. 
C get a place that's south facing or at least not north facing because then you're much less likely to shovel snow. Again, five beds, three baths is good. Two baths is okay as long as one's not a master bathroom because you don't want one person having one bathroom to themselves and then four people all sharing the other bathroom. Mm, Yeah. If there's a tree in the front yard. So realistically, we're starting to get into the weeds here, but like realistically, you're going to be realistically, you're going to be buying a house in Denver that was built in the seventies or eighties. That's just what is available in this price range. They have these clay pipes for the sewers. Mm, If there is a tree in the front yard, that tree is likely destroyed those clay pipes I can attest and that's to about that. a 10, yeah, so that's about a $10,000 fix. So, and again, why it's important to get an inspection, but just do understand that, um, especially if you're going to be waiving inspections, that yeah. the house is built in the 70s or 80s, and if there's a tree in the front yard, it's probably destroyed the sewer. Yeah, so, get your sewer scoped. That's not always included. Yes. Yeah. So, but I think I think that's about it as far as, things that you want in a house that you that work well for this strategy. Great. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I've been asking folks lately, what is a favorite book you've been reading, either maybe just recently in the past year? What stands out to you that you've read lately? I guess I'll, the book that got me started on all of this was um, Set for Life by Scott Trench. Mm. That's a good resource. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, that one, that book goes in into depth um, just about this idea of buying a house and um, living in it and making it a rental. So that was definitely a really great resource in getting started with all of this. Yeah, and he's a Denver local too. I actually met him, had coffee with him once to pick his brain on some oh, of this cool. myself. And he was like a super yeah, yeah. helpful guy. Yeah, it was just great to get to know him a little he, bit. And yeah, good resource for sure. Yeah. Oh, that guy's a, he's got like a treasure chest full of cheesy jokes and I love it. Yeah. And now he's the, <laughs> I believe, CEO of Bigger Pockets, which is its own massive real estate resource. Yeah. He's, he's crushing it. Young guy, too. He's younger than me, anyway. So, no, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. that's great, Eric. Well, unless there's anything else, I really want to thank you for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening all the way to the end on this interview with Eric Jensen. To get in touch with Eric or to watch him destroy every boulder in sight, I assure you, head on over to the links provided in your show notes. As usual, I would appreciate it if you could share this podcast with a friend, family member, or even your most dreaded enemies. Friends and foes alike are all welcome here. Additionally, if you could leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify podcasts, That would really tickle me to death, guys. Got that Tennessee on the brain. And when you're in Tennessee, you get tickled. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye.